Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome to the new Health Club podcast. Our now has changed forever. The new Health Club is where the conversation around the new era of mental health, mental wellness and this now, the new now, begins. I think that psychedelics will play a big part in this. We are talking about a completely new lifestyle here. So what are LSD, magic mushrooms, psilocybin and MDMA or ketamine exactly doing for our mental health, personal progress and optimization? Will they change our lifestyles forever? Will they be a big part of this new normal? On the new Health Club podcast, I talk to real innovators, thought leaders and disruptors from the emerging new world of psychedelics, mental health and mental wellness. Please enjoy. This podcast deals with drugs. Drugs are dangerous. Furthermore, the use and or trade of drugs can be punishable by law. Please keep this in mind. This podcast is not suitable for people under the age of 18. Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of the New Health Club podcast. Today with the amazing Ayelet Waldman, who I think is a great writer and a great talker, thinker and founder, as we learn later. Ayelet is an Israeli-American novelist and essayist. She's written many novels, TV shows like Unbelievable on Netflix and the book A Really Good Day. Her fascinating diary on her microdosing experiment with LSD a tool that could become relevant for difficult times like the one we're experiencing now. Ayla describes herself as a basic bitch in yoga pants, sipping caramel latte, and she's not your usual psychedelic customer, aka tech dudas, or not a spiritual woo-woo person, as she says. Which makes her book even more interesting. Ayla took the idea of microdosing LSD into the mainstream with her book, and she asks how this could work on a daily basis for everyone. She's also just founded a nonprofit organization, Feed ER, which started with a lunch and a plea to support local businesses, but is now raising money to feed health workers in the Oakland area and is just raising money to support people working very hard in a current situation. And um, if you want to know more about this, We will have some info on our newsletter, which you can subscribe to under www.thenewhealthsclub.de. And now on to the fantastic Island Waldman. So, of course, it would be great if you first introduce yourself. And I'm very, very lucky to have you on the show because you have a lot of things to do yes, <laughs> in life. following this craziness that I've got going on. Yeah. It's been madness. 
I've never worked so hard in my life. Okay, so I've but never been so busy. But I mean, so, um, so you're a writer. You're also a professor at Berkeley. No, no, not anymore. I'm just, so I'm a writer. I'm yeah. a novelist. Uh, I write also nonfiction. My last book that we're going to talk about today is called A Really Good Day, and mm -hmm. it's a nonfiction book. Yeah. I also run television shows. Uh, my last two shows were unbelievable on Netflix, and um, I was a co-executive producer of Star Trek Picard, which you can see on Amazon mm -hmm. in Germany. Mm -hmm. And then over the past week, I have become the head of a nonprofit um, delivering don restaurants that we purchase at full price from local restaurants to look up. Delivering meals, not restaurants, that we purchase full price from local restaurants to keep them in business and deliver to the hospitals, to the emergency rooms and the intensive care units to mm -hmm. keep them nourished and um, keep them from having to eat out of vending machines and sustain them in this very difficult time. Mm -hmm. So that's what's taking up my time nowadays. Okay. But I mean, it's interesting because I feel this seems like already like a really interesting tool um, to kind of create, um, to, to face this time, actually, to create something that immediately helps other people. Absolutely. You know, because I have a mood disorder, which I write about a lot in a really good day, I, this kind of thing puts me at risk, you know, I mean, I could have just yeah, crawled sure. into bed and not gotten out and it would have been, it would not have been surprising given my history of cycling in and out of depression. So this thing, which we're calling East Bay, which is the name of the area we live in, Feed ER, but one word, Feeder, mm -hmm. this thing has um, really made it possible for me to, you know, I have to get up every morning. Yeah. I have to get up and mm -hmm. I have to just get on Slack and yeah. get to work <laughs> and um, I have to go out and do deliveries. Now we have a whole delivery team. Okay. Wow. Um I have to, you know, do a bunch of Zoom calls. And so it just keeps me moving, 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 which for me is really important for my state of mind. Mm -hmm. If I'm not moving it every minute, I start to get depressed. Okay. So this has been really helpful. That's, I mean, that's in general, that seems to be a very, very good um, tool for a lot of people to just think of something that they could give to another person that they kind of can give freely or it's not a big deal for them. Right. So which, because I think that's true. I think everyone has to, I mean, it's, you know, we have this like three prong value statement for this. We realize that a value statement really helps when you start something like this. Mm -hmm. And so our value statement is to nourish our community by, um, nourishing our frontline hospital staff, sustaining our local res residents. And also in this third part, I, I didn't even think about when we began, but it is nourishing our community as a whole by giving them a, a way to contribute. And mm -hmm. I think that's actually a really important piece of this because people need to be able to participate in something positive while they're going through something as challenging as this. And, um, you know, even if it's just giving $10, you feel like you're there and you're yeah. showing up and you're helping. And that's been huge for people. So, I mean, is that your coffee? Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. He has really kept my 18 year old sane. She's, um, is Michael and I started the thing where we'll give you a book if you give us N95 masks. Cause oh. I, 
Wow. It's so hard to believe this, and you will not be able to believe this coming from the country you come in that has a working healthcare system, but we don't have personal protective equipment for our medical staff. So our frontline medical staff is utterly unprotected when they're dealing with people with the disease. They're reusing, reusing masks all day long, sometimes more than a day. Mm-hmm. They're using regular hospital masks when they should be using the ones with the um, respirator. Yeah. It's madness. So people in California at least often have respirator masks in their earthquake kits. So we've been begging people to pull them out of their earthquake kits, give them to us, and we'll bring them to the hospital. So I've got my teenager, my 18-year-old, doing those mask pickups and drop-offs. And that's been really good for her, too, to have this sense of, like, I'm participating, I'm contributing. Mm -hmm. So So basically the family could become a company overnight. A little bit. <laughs> I hope not. I honestly, when this is over, I just want to go back to work. No, sure. I just want to like be in my quiet zone. But, but you know, maybe this will help us get through this. Maybe it will help. I think it will. Absolutely. Um, we have a my niece and nephew have, uh, were diagnosed with. They were remarkably got a test, which doesn't usually happen here because we also don't have any testing because mm-hmm. we refuse to use the World Health Organization testing kits and our incompetent center for disease control created a test that didn't work. So we don't have any testing. There's very little, you can only get tested if you're basically a death store mm-hmm. or if you're a medical professional. And even then there are lots of medical professionals who haven't been able to get a test. So, um, in some hot spots, you can get them very few. So yeah. my, um, my niece and nephew managed to get a test and are both, uh, sick. Mm-hmm. But luckily, they're on the mend because, you know, they're young, they're in their early 30s. So we really need distraction around here. Yeah. But I mean, let's jump right into your um, famous book, because I mean, <laughs> you were the first, you could say, I mean, person who wrote about this, which I like a lot from a very personal point of view, um, that you just tried microdosing without waiting for another five years until there will be some studies right. that are actually already there, but maybe not. I mean, it, it will take a while until this is like completely decriminalized and everything. But so, right. um, so walk us through the experience. So the thing is you, you come to this point in your life where you realize, okay, nothing kind of works anymore. And you tried a lot right. of things and you have a great support system, but you're in the, in this day when you realize, okay, I'm either I do this or nothing else will work anymore. So just talk a little bit about that moment, maybe. So it was very, um, it was, it was really, uh, desperate, I think is the right way to put it. I, you know, like I said, I have a mood disorder and I've caught, I, I have something called premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Um, well, at least until I stopped menstruating. And what that meant, it was basically like PMS, but Mm -hmm. on steroids, right? (laughs) So I would crash really hard in the week before my period, and it would catalyze a depression. And um, irritability, which meant I was basically yelling and screaming at people, which is terrible. And um, what ended up happening was I, um, I got this treatment that was really effective, which was you take a little bit of an SSRI right before, right before that depression hits. And it, it works like magic. It works actually within, because it acts on progesterone, it works within 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Amazing. <laughs> so I could start to feel, and I'm really good at feeling when the, the um, wave was coming and nipping it in the bud. 
But the thing about that is you have to know the way wave is coming and you have to be able to calendar it. You know, you have to mm-hmm. have like a period calendar. And when you hit perimenopause, that period, that, that, that those years or months before it's usually years before you get, go into menopause, um, your system goes all out of whack. Your schedule goes all out of whack. Sometimes you get three periods a month. Sometimes you don't get a period for three months. And I couldn't predict with any accuracy when the depression was going to come. It would come out of nowhere. So things were getting worse and worse. And um, other medications had just never worked for me in the same way that um, they were supposed to. You know, I would a doctor would prescribe an SSRI like Zoloft or Celexa or, you know, Effexor. I mean, I could list them forever, the ones I was on. And... I would get fat, I'd lose my sex drive, and I wouldn't feel any better. So um, I was just sort of like, you know, scrambling for something because I, I just got more and more depressed. And my suicidal ideation, you know, thinking about suicide, got sort of it became like the constant echo in the back of my head. Like anytime I wasn't thinking about something else, I was thinking about killing myself, which not good. So I... um I, when you're a writer, you get a lot of books. They sort of show up in your house. And one day, this book about um, about being a psychedelic explorer, the psychedelic explorer's <laughs> guide showed up in my house. And I did not look at it. I mean, I, who cares? Whatever. I'm not an explorer of any shape <laughs> or form. I just was like, you know, I, I, the whole thing seemed really hippy-dippy to me. I'd never taken psychedelics except one sort of aborted attempt in college. So I just paid no attention, like zero attention. And then I um, opened it for some reason in this period of real despair, which the woo-woo people will tell you that, like, the medicine called to me. I don't know. It did. I don't know if I believe in that thing, but it kind of did. I hate to it. It kind of did. And then I read this chapter about microdosing. Oh, my God. There, I, this sounds incredible. And then I started Googling and there was this YouTube video where this woman said, describe the experiences. Well, I just, I just had a really good day. And I thought, oh, that's what you need. That's what I want. I haven't had a really good day in as long as I can remember. So I actually reached out to Jim Fadham and the guy who mm-hmm. wrote the um, psychedelic explorers guide. I called him on the phone, which was kind of crazy. And he was totally willing to talk to me and very supportive of him. He was loving in this way that I'd never really experienced before. I do not have a loving father. I am. I had one. I have all, I'm always searching for male like father figures, which I didn't even realize until like I wrote this book that that was the constant sort of story of my life. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I just thought I, and I'm always writing about it too. In all my novels, there's like a, um, an old, an elderly man who becomes loving and supportive it's so crazy <laughs> like you know i didn't even know i was doing it so the, like the last time in love and treasure my husband was like well there he is there's the guy and i'm like what <laughs> so um it's just it's really quite hilarious so i am you know one was a violinist and one i mean it's just really very funny okay um, and james and, told you what to do and basically james not he went right into that role and i realized it's because and I really do believe this because he has so much experience with psychedelics and has done it so much and has mm-hmm. been digging so deep into his own psyche. He has this kind of almost otherworldly generosity and capacity for love and connection. And look, I am the last part, like 
I am so practical for me to be saying these things. You have to believe me because I was very, I would never have believed that, but you know, I really do believe that, that, that being able, having spent a lifetime confronting the reality of an interconnected world has made him this incredibly loving, uh, supportive person. So he, he said to me, basically try it. Nothing, you know, nothing can happen to you. So I searched and searched and searched. You would think I would be able to find a little bit of LSD because I live in, the in Bay Berkeley, Area. California. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm a real, as my kids say, I'm a real basic bitch. You know, like I drink <laughs> my lattes with vanilla syrup and I wear <laughs> yoga pants. And like, who am I? To, like, I didn't have any LSD connects. I was invited to the first Burning Man and I was like, ew, that sounds terrible. So, um, that's who I am. But in the end I opened, I went out to my mailbox one day and opened the mailbox and there in the mailbox in a little beautiful package with lots of like old American stamps was this, when I opened it up, there was a little blue vial and a poem. And, um, it basically was, you know, it said, this is five, um, microgram, one drop is five five micrograms. Mm And I thought I, it was I'm like, I'm not an idiot. And I just drink it. I, um, I tested it. You buy LSD testing kits on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? Anyway. I and psilocybin, um, little and, yeah, psilocybin all pro- sorts of things. Productions. Yeah. Okay. Um, who knew that the, uh, that Amazon would become the dark web. <laughs> um, so I ended up, uh, doing it. And at first I was like, well, this didn't do anything. I took the, the drops in the morning. I was like, I went to work doing my normal work. And then I lifted my head one and I looked out the window and I have a dogwood tree in my yard, which bursts into bloom in the sun in the springtime. And the dogwood tree was in bloom. And it wasn't like, you know, flowers or, you know, taking flight, but I just looked and I thought, Oh, look how beautiful the dogwood is. And the thing about that was that during this period of depression, I had become all but anhedonic. I could not appreciate beauty. And there was beauty. And I could see it. And I could enjoy it. And it was incredible. So for me, the the depression ended that moment. Mm -hmm. Unheard of. It was just gone. Um, And it wasn't like every day was an amazing day, but it was Mm -hmm. for the period of time that I was microdosing. I had many more really good days than really bad days. I had a kind of easeful commitment, uh, contentment. Like I could just chill, you know, and I had the capacity to focus on the kinds of therapies that make a difference when you have a mood disorder, like dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a kind of therapy that is takes a tremendous amount of reflection and Mm -hmm. focus and I wouldn't do it before. I just didn't have that space in my head for reflection and focus. And the microdosing gave me that space in my head so that when I ultimately stopped doing it, I had already developed the habit and the pattern, which was really key. So people often ask me, Oh, does the microdosing work after you stop doing it? No, chemically, no, Mm -hmm. but the, but the way it helped me to grow and change mm, has in many ways sustained itself. Mm. And I mean, you also write in a book when you, when you at dinner, at a dinner party, you kind of try to talk to friends about it and um, they change the subject 
pretty quickly. Yeah, so. it was a couple. It was an older couple that had okay. a long drug history. Oh, really? They got very oh, wow. About okay. it. Yeah. I found out later from their daughter. But the thing is, now they're like so down because the you know lots of people were talking about microdosing before, but in a very specific way, like in a very you know in the kind of tech bro make mm-hmm. yourself yeah. smarter faster sure. way, or in the kind of psychedelic way. And yeah. like I said, basic bitch, right? So I kind of <laughs> mainstreamed the practice. My book made it very made it po- made it possible for testing to start in a way that. It hadn't before. And for people who are like me, sort of typical average humans to say, oh, I'm going to give this a shot. Old people, young people. And um, and it's become really mainstream, so mainstreamed, in fact, that I am developing a half hour television show based on the experience, which was at first at Showtime and now we're moving. But it um, it's like a dramedy, you know, so it's partly it's funny. It's serious. So it's really kind of amazing that um that that's happened. Um, and I feel really good about that. I feel really good about having um, been part of, what is my dog doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I am. I feel really happy about and uh, proud of having been part of the wave that is making this more mm-hmm. mainstream. And because I really believe that it, it's a way for people to take control of their own mental health. You know, we're so used to just saying, okay, I'll take this pill. I'll do this mm-hmm. treatment. And the thing is, Sometimes they work, but a lot of times they don't. And people are always saying to me, you don't know what what psilocybin or LSD does to the brain. You know what we don't know what does to the brain either? All the we other things. We don't know things. what SSRIs yeah. do to the brain. Mm. We don't do – like they give you a, a medication that's that's designed to help people who have seizures and they say this helps your mood disorder. Sometimes it really does. But like, what is that doing in my head? I don't know. Yeah. Nobody knows. We yeah. don't have any idea what the results of an international mm-hmm. mass study on the long-term use of psychedelics will be. Who knows what the fuck we're going to find? Sorry, what the fuck no, we're yeah. going to find out in you 10 can say years? <laughs> in 20 years about people yeah. who use psychedelics for 50, 60 mm-hmm. years. I don't know. Yeah, no, I'm exactly. Not psychedelics. SSRIs, you mean? Well, that's also true, but we don't know what's going to... Actually, we do know what's going to happen in 50 or 60 years with people who have used psychedelics, because we've done that, but we don't know what's going to happen with people who use Prozac. Mm -hmm. So psychedelics, nothing. Turns out nothing happens for 50, 60 years of use. In fact, maybe it's actually enhances your neurological connectivity. It really does. I mean, I I think really... I mean, I've done this uh, psilocybin treatment in in Amsterdam at Synthesis, and um, I came home and somebody was like, "What do you know? All these names, Sandy? Like in two seconds, <laughs> because everything came back. Faster. Like it, it does, which is a great I've thing." I noticed since um, I stopped doing it that. I'm losing that. That was, I was really, it was very nice for me. Like I have a terrible memory, which is really hard when you're a writer, I got to say, <laughs> but when I know it's really problem, but during that period, my memory was so much more. Um, it just, I was faster. I was quicker at things, which was mm-hmm. pretty damn exciting. Mm-hmm. I got to say, but I mean, I feel now in, in the situation we are right now, I mean, it almost kind of makes sense that, let's say if people could microdose now, if it would be possible, um, it would actually make everything more kind of less panicky and people could actually think maybe rather about real solutions for their communities than just freaking like, 
plain I, freaking hey, kind of. I I don't want to. I don't know, but maybe. Like I certainly know that part of what I'm doing now is not. It's not unrelated to the experience I had. Look, every experience ah, makes you who okay. you are. But like you know, right now I am able to focus on my therapies and. Uh, I know it helps me and I would not have been here if it hadn't been for the microdosing. So for me personally, in a very real way, all the things that I'm doing now during this crisis and the way that I'm maintaining my stability are absolutely connected to my microdosing experience. But, I don't know if that's true for everybody, but for me personally, yes. Uh, and do you feel like it's true for you with your psilocybin Yeah, experience? totally. I mean, because I think, I mean, I was kind of, I did an LSD experience last year in May and um, a guided experience and um, a psilocybin experience. And I would totally say that these two experiences, first of all, they, they solved a lot of weird things that I thought I could never solve, um, or they led me on the way, let's put it that way. And then the second thing is they made me uh, found this company. I just totally know it. It's not a big, yeah. like, hmm, let me think about it. So it, it really, no, it really... You know what it, what it yeah, you totally, do. exactly. And But I mean, do you think that... Um, what I'm thinking about a lot is that maybe after this crisis is over, that a lot of people will actually also have like something like a PTSD moment. Oh, a hundred percent. Six we months later, kind of mass. Look, everyone is going to know someone who died and who died terribly, yeah. who died alone in a hospital. I mean, that is the thing that's killing me so much is the the lonely death. That's not a feature of human existence. We, no. We don't let people generally die by themselves. We care for them through their death as best we can. Our family members, the people we love, and they are going to die by themselves in a room. That's what terrifies me. Um, and that trauma is going to live with us as a, on an international scale. And um, we know for a fact that MDMA is incredibly useful, that's ecstasy, in treating intractable um, PTSD that has not responded to other treatment. We've done studies. We know this. Mm -hmm. MAPS does well, a lot of that. Take right? that well, if we're going to take that tool out of our arsenal, we're going to keep ourselves from having everything we need to p help people recover from this. But do you think this will also lead to a, let's say, like a political push towards an, a quicker uh, decriminalization with these things? I don't know what's going to happen in America. You know, I think this is going to mean, even though it's Trump's fault, we don't have personal protective equipment. It's Trump's fault. We don't have, we are, we were unprepared on an, on a national scale. It's Trump's fault that more people are dying. It's Trump's fault that we don't have ventilators. All of that is directly at the feet of this cretinous, despicable, vile fascist president. And he's going to be reelected, a hundred percent. Do you think his his approval ratings have never been so high? Oh. I, 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 I don't even know what to say. <laughs> so I don't know what's going to happen in this country. I think okay. this country he's going to be um, empowered to destroy it mm. in a way even more than he already has. Andrea Merkel is yeah. incredible, and she's what a leader needs to be. And you I think so too? I, get inspired. I'm like, I listen to her, not to fucking Donald Trump. So, um, I think that hopefully this will inspire a change and, a um, a, 
a movement in in a better direction. And mm-hmm. I, I do think psych, um, psychedelics, sorry, can be part of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so. the, there's this there's this new not new expression, but this kind of term that's kind of developing now, like which you could describe as um, a new mental wellness that is needed. Mental health. Most people would go like, "Whoa, now something." Somebody, what's the the famous Jack Nicholson movie? Somebody flew over the cuckoo. <laughs> oh yeah, one so most well, people. We do have this bias against. Look, we have a tremendous bias against, you know, it's interesting that movie is about, you know, the evils of, um, of, uh, electro therapy, Mm -hmm. which we call electro shock, you know, and now that therapy, not in the way it was then, not without anesthesia, not in those huge doses, but that proves incredibly effective to people. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to me, like these more, um, uh, these therapies that have been dismissed as, as out there have actually proven more effective than these pharmaceutical, incredibly lucrative, profitable pharmaceutical remedies. So, um, I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm such a pessimist deeply in my soul (laughs) that it almost hurts me to say that maybe the world is moving in this small area in the right direction. But if, um, and and by the way, no, apparently no, the, the, the kind of optimism and sense of hope that I, I also did a large psilocybin experience mm-hmm. after the book came out and okay. there was a period where I was able to access that optimism. Um, it, the election of Donald Trump has kind of cured me of that. So, uh. But, you know, there, it's still there in my heart. And if I let that optimistic flower bloom, um, I might be more willing to say what you say, which is that we're, we're on the road to a better place on these issues. Well, I mean, I think it, it feels almost like there's no, um, there's no other option anymore because a little bit of yoga won't help after this no. or like going to a and spa you can put once as in a while. crystals in your vagina as you want. It's not going to make you... No. Yeah, it's not going to bring you to a place of mental. I mean, maybe if you put the crystals in vagina and you make a billion dollars marketing those crystals, you can afford to get to a place of mental health. But yeah, probably not. No, man. But um, and weirdly, like mm-hmm. talking about the main, you know, talking about crystals in your vagina, the mainstreaming <laughs> of psychedelic experience. I'm look at that goop. Goop the show. did mm-hmm. their psychedelic episode, mm-hmm. which was pretty freaking amazing when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I thought a lot of people I know told me after seeing this, okay, now I really understand what this is. And I yes, understand so that it's great. Kind of, yeah, kind of. I mean, really, absolutely. Like, no, I mean, I thought it was a great like show. That, that happens is really helpful to the cause. Yeah. But I mean, I find it very interesting that w- if you watch your, your talks and the book that you're really very open about this, although you're not like, like an activist uh, and a psychedelic activist, although maybe you, no. now you are maybe in a weird way, but I mean, um, so, I mean, I find it interesting how, what, what is the main reaction from people? I mean, now in the Bay area, of course, everybody has heard about LSD well, forever across the country. I've gotten support in like oh, okay. the most incredible places. Okay. Like South Dakota, like, <laughs> okay. I mean, Iowa, I mean, seriously, you would not believe like going, look, when you go to a city like Sioux city or something, mm-hmm. every single person 
inclined to be of this state of mind comes to see you. So you have a huge audience of like 300, yeah. 400, sure. unbelievable. But that's like every single person in that city, you know, who, like when you go to New York, you might have the same size audience, but most of the people who agree with you just don't buy the show up. Mm-hmm. But they're so starved for connection in these more red state places. But there they are, older people, younger people, you know, librarians and hipsters mm-hmm. all together. there together. Um, there may only be a few of them in that city, but they're there. So, I mean, and did they, what, what was their main question? How can I do this? What, what do I have to do? Everybody's and main question is, can you get me up? Yeah. LSD? Like, <laughs> every, you know, it's so interesting. It's so people cool. ask that question, ask it really openly. Yeah. Can you, Ayala, buy me illegal drugs? They ask, or give me illegal drugs. They ask it super openly, even though it's a crime. Um, the people who are secretive and the people who are ashamed are the people who come up to me after an event and take me aside and say, I'm depressed. I'm suicidal. I don't know what to do. Those people, those people can't talk about their experience. Those people are ashamed because we are so deeply in our society uh, invested in not loving, not caring for the people who we need to care for and love. And um, it, it's really telling to me that those are the people who we, who feel the need to hide their despair But the people who are like the committing crimes are like, woohoo, get me my drugs, I got that. <laughs> so it really is it's it's a terrible indictment of the of the state of mind and the mm. state of politics and the state of criminal justice in this country. I mean how do But you I bet mm? it's true in Germany too. Yeah. I bet it's true that the people who feel depression, the people who feel weakened, the people who feel at a, uh, at risk are also ashamed. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. I mean, the, I think the shame aspect will now maybe also with this kind of disappear because everybody has had a similar experience. I mean, even if you're very wealthy, you can have people die in your... Exactly. This is the great surrounding. equalizer. This disease is Yeah, the great equalizer. equalizer. Exactly. I, unfortunately, exposure did not equalize the American individual who most needed to be equalized. But, um, but there, what I've heard, and I don't know if this is true, is that you won't die, but you will know someone who died and yeah, or like close to you who died. Yeah. Or is who I was in a very weird condition, at least for a while yeah. or something. And there's going to be long-term damage. People are going to experience long-term damage to their lungs and their lives will be shortened. And so that collective trauma is equalizing and maybe that will inspire us to care for one another in a way that they have, we have not before. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But I mean, in what way do you think this whole, let's say your, 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 the beginning of your psychedelic life, how would you say it will, or has it already changed your, your writing? Well, first of all, on the very practical basis, it may be incredibly productive. Okay. Like, it, it's a little <laughs> it's bit good. Like Adderall and Zoloft combined microdosing, like, or what they say Adderall and Zoloft are supposed to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then on the, I hope that I'm more reflective, like right. You know, I haven't written a novel since that experience. Mm -hmm. And I do think that before, if I turn to another novel right now, I'm focusing on television, which I really, mm -hmm. really, really, really love. Um, uh, but I'm hoping that 
before I write a novel, I will have uh, an opportunity to do another one of these psilocybin experiences because I know that that cracks open my head and I know that that brings me to a place of greater understanding and um, insight into the connectivity of the human experience and the natural experience. And I want to be able to write from that place. So um, uh, I I think it's going to make me a better writer. I hope it makes me a better Well, I mean, writer. I think that what that's what a lot of people say. Um, we had that in the last podcast also. You see, first of all, you see a lot of comic characters. It's like a very yeah. specific Disney movie or like Disney related. And I saw like Peter Pan the whole time. Like, I mean, uh, basically um, not Peter Pan. Um, what's her name? Uh, Tinkerbell. So, yeah. And uh, so it's interesting how a lot of people see like like childlike characters. So, and I mean, this brings them to ideas, like a lot of I, ideas. The, the, my, my, my psilocybin experience was very challenging. It was okay. not, like the first thing I said when I was sort of back to myself was, why the fuck would anybody do this for fun? It was very hard. Okay. Um, it, first of all, I was terribly ill. I had like, I was vomiting and my subjective experience was that I was vomiting black rats you know, wow. see that it like, but I, I felt them. I saw them. They came out, not Tinkerbell, the lock rats. And, <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> yeah. And then I, kind of, um, I experienced the fracturing of my, um, ego and super ego. So that mm -hmm. in the end I was holding them in my hands and, and felt and was confident that I would never be sane again. That mm -hmm. was very hard, but then there were amazing pieces of it. Like, You know, there was this, there was, there were fun pieces of it. Like I was integrated in dancing with the black stone goddess. Wow, oh, that sounds means, good. Yeah. Uh, the woman who led my experience, uh, <laughs> trained in Mexico and she was very excited about that piece. She said, that's the Aztec goddess. I was less interested in that piece because all that piece was, was like physically, uh, jo like exciting and, and, uh, like it, it wasn't, it wasn't a time of terrible insight for me. But then I really had tremendous insight into my relationship with my daughter that has profoundly changed it permanently. And then I also had um, uh, a feeling of the deepest gratitude I ever experienced in my life. Mm -hmm. Access to the true meaning of gratitude. And that is, was, that's, that and the feeling, the, my, the, the insight into my relationship with Sophie has sustained. But no Tinkerbell. Well, I mean, well, well, okay, wait, rats. I didn't tell you the whole story. Tinkerbell in a concentration camp. Oh, Four hours. You came yeah. up with your own black rats. Exactly. <laughs> so I was just saying it wasn't Tinkerbell being Tinkerbell. It was, I mean, I'm really, it, it was really like I was in a camp and, and rabbis talked to me what they were thinking of me and what we should do together in the future. That's so. so fascinating. I wonder how many, because it's like you're having insight into your, to your place in the world. I wonder how, if you did a study, how many people of German heritage would have that? Because I know, I know two, I know two who saw, really? um, yeah. Because yeah. I know Holocaust survivors whose lives have been completely changed by this experience and they're mm -hmm. able to like overcome the guilt of survival and, understand and um see their dead parents for the last time in a way that has made them able to heal so it was it george salo maybe that, yeah so oh, okay george was mm -hmm. a friend of mine. but others okay. i've heard others who've told, talked about that too and um going back to the 60s using psychedelics oh, to wow. try to heal okay. the holocaust so 
Um, you know, some somebody should do a study of a group psilocybin experience. But also so, should somebody do a study, I feel, about the Germans whose obviously grandparents, like my grandfather, was were in the war or were actually obviously Nazis in a way. And so I feel that the, the people who did this to Jewish people have also a similar PTSD situation because yeah. they could not oh, deal yeah. with it. Just can't. The legacy of guilt is is very real. Yeah. I mean, it's very real and very, it's a, it's a heavy burden. But I mean, it, Dude, I think mm -hmm. we just came up with our like joint study. Well, that we're going to be talking more. Yes. And let's, <laughs> let's give us, because we have five minutes, four minutes. Let's give us your, your, your four, let's say three or four really great advice besides building a company around this whole thing that what you're doing to kind of um, go through this time, Survive. your top five, okay, top three. So the first thing I say, I have to say is reach out to community any way you can mm -hmm. do video chats with your family and your friends. Do, um, you know, have a book club online, Co reach out so that you don't feel alone so that you connect it. You know, this FaceTime is a means of connection. Use yeah. that technology. Sure. Um, that's my first advice. My second advice is do something useful. Even if it's only donate money, do something useful that makes you feel mm -hmm. part of the greater human family. Mm -hmm. Third, read, 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 yeah. read, read, read. You can immerse yourself in a book and you could be gone in it for hours. Yep. And my last piece of advice is when you choose your media, lots of people are watching Netflix, choose it carefully, choose yeah. things that will feed your soul. And they don't have to be cheerful, but choose things that will feed your soul rather than just crap. Yeah, that's the best idea, actually, I think. And um, so, for example, the Bill Gates documentation on, on Netflix, I find very yeah. interesting. So we as a family are together watching this crazy documentary called uh, Tiger King. Okay. And it's amazing <laughs> because we're seeing this part of America that we didn't know existed. And we're learning and we have like... Cool. Astonishment and compassion for all these people, which is so cool. It's actually Tiger King is feeding our soul right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 